accessible. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. I'm Chuck Kamlick, CNBC. Beyond Meat has done so well, IKEA now may be planning to sell meatless Swedish meatballs. More records going down on Wall Street. The Dow up 197, the Nasdaq up 127, the S&P 28. The Nasdaq and S&P new all-time highs. New jobs created in April, 236,000, the unemployment rate a 50-year low. Amazon stock got a bump on news Warren Buffett's company, not him, is buying Amazon shares. Tesla may be cutting leasing prices on Model 3s, but raising the amount of cash you have to put down. Fiat Chrysler owners may get up to $3,000 each, part of a settlement the company agreed to pay because some of its V6 diesels were too pollution too polluting. Electronic Arts says Madden NFL 19 has broken the record as the most watched live tournament in Madden history. 97,000 Twitchers tuned in. And a lot of folks will watch the Kentucky Derby this weekend. That race could bring in $350 million to Louisville's economy. Chuck Kamlick, CNBC. In general, I'm a win-win guy. Won't have to spend hours searching for the right part. It's lose-lose. It's time lost for me and lost time for my crew. That's why I order from Granger with product experts that have the answers to my toughest questions and easy-to-use website to help me find the right product quickly, I can rely on Granger to make getting supplies for my business as simple and seamless as possible. When it comes to getting things done, it's a win-win when Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Home Depot has very good news for your lawn. It's called Scott's Thicker Lawn, right now from only $19.98 a bag. Thicker Lawn is a three-in-one mixture of seed, fertilizer, and soil improver. Perfectly formulated for thicker lawns and happier lawn owners. So spread the word for up to a 50% thicker lawn after just one application. Today is the day for doing with Scott's Thicker Lawn from only $19.98 a bag. Now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Selection varies by store. K. K. C. A. A. Hi, and welcome to the Capital Raising Club. I'm your host, Rose Vitali, co-founder of the Capital Raising Club. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, and capital raising. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor, this show bridges the gap between investors and business owners with interviews from business leaders who have experience on both sides. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. And now here's the host of the Capital Raising Club, Rose Vitale. I'd like to invite all the listeners to Capital Raising Club radio show. You know, sometimes that's a mouthful, isn't it, Rose? (laughs) Um, Yes, it is. (laughs) i'm uh sorry but i'm a little twisted and twisted and tongue-tied i spent the last week in the caribbean relaxing and so on so this is my first day back on the job and uh please excuse my full pause while i uh, attempt to get myself back in gear again Uh, well welcome back welcome back it's good to have you back here well, thank you. I had to trade off with you since you spent the previous week over in Hawaii. So that's, uh, I guess, uh, we're even now. Listeners, if you will please give our attention to something very interesting, and that is the equity crowdfunding topic of today. Equity crowdfunding is uh, One of those things that is an alternative means of fundraising for uh, persons who are operating businesses and who want to uh, expand or those persons who are in need of capital to begin their business. And we are very privileged to have on our show today, Nathan Rose, who is the author of Equity Crowdfunding, the complete guide for startups and growing companies. Uh, Nathan has appeared at crowdfunding events around the globe and has written for top 
crowdfunding news sites. Today, he runs the website www.startupfundingsecrets.io as a way of helping startups from all over the world use equity crowdfunding to gain marketing exposure and to raise money at the same time. Nathan, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a great pleasure, John and Rose, and uh, happy to share the equity crowdfunding story with all of your listeners. Well, that's good. Um, Nathan, our listeners would probably like to know where you are today as an example of how you are kind of a globetrotter. Where, what is your location right now? So I'm currently in Georgia, but that's Georgia, the country in Eastern Europe, not Georgia, the American state. Uh, so <laughs> I'm in the capital, Tbilisi, and it's mm-hmm. a very interesting place as my, um, as my home base. And uh, as, we, as we chat today, we've got a 13-hour time zone difference that we're dealing with. But we've, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, difficulties. Yeah, well, about a year and a half ago, Rose and I were over in uh, Indonesia. And so when we, I would call home, it was uh, about a 13-hour difference. And uh, I can understand that uh, your body clock has uh, special adjustments to make as a result of all of your travels. Uh, why don't you tell people some of the places you've been as uh, a crowdfunding expert? Yeah, sure. Um, so... People can hear from my accent that I'm from New Zealand, if if that's an accent that they're familiar with. So I've um, I've been to events in that part of the world, Australia as well. Uh, The United Kingdom, which is one of the global leaders in equity crowdfunding. I spent a period of time in Amsterdam with the um, European crowdfunding hub. uh, And the, the guy who wrote my foreword that came from that time that I was in Amsterdam. And I was also at a conference in Toronto, Canada. So, um, yeah, these are, these are some of the events and locations I've been with and, and obviously communicated via um, Skype and other electronic means with, with people in different locations as well as part of putting that book together. Well, I'm glad that you were able to join us from that uh, distant uh, connection that we are at in today. Um, how did you choose to become a crowdfunding strategist? Yeah, so it's a function, I think, of my background when I was in the, um, in the workforce as a, as a corporate employee. So out of university, I got into investment banking. Um, and as part of that in New Zealand, we were exposed to a lot of different kinds of industries. You don't really become a specialist in a small market like that. But one of the sets of clients that I enjoyed working with the most were the early stage initial public offerings. So the companies that were raising sort of in the range of 15 to $30 million um, who were sort of still at the stage where they weren't yet profitable, but they had big growth trajectories. And look, equity crowdfunding in many ways is quite similar to that. Um, usually it's even less amounts of capital. So they're even earlier stage companies, which are, which are not even quite ready for that IPO at, at this point. But um, yeah, it was an opportunity when I decided to kind of do my own thing that um, I, I saw that there was this group of companies that weren't really being served by the, the big investment banks. Um, so with lower levels of overhead and a skill set I already had, I saw an opportunity to get involved. Well, that's the way most people uh, find themselves in uh, entrepreneurial situations is suddenly they uh, go after an opportunity that presents itself. And uh, oftentimes they are uh, more successful than somebody who sets out with a specific task in mind and then finds that they (laughs) get off on the sidetrack and uh, cannot accomplish what they intended. So it's, it's grand that you're able to uh, jump to that uh, opportunity that presented itself to you. Um, Mm -hmm. As you've been traveling the world, what differences do you see in terms of operating a business or in funding techniques or challenges? What, what have you noticed most of all, if anything? Um, so in the funding space, I, I do notice a difference between, between countries. So 
a place like the Netherlands, for example, is very conservative just in terms of how investors are. So they're very much into property, fixed interest investments. So the, the startup community there have often looked, got to look outside of the Netherlands in order to find the capital for riskier kinds of opportunities. But then there's places like the US where you've got the whole Silicon Valley um, legend of, of so many companies coming out of that part and, and you know entrepreneurship there is really encouraged and as a result investors are happier to take those bigger risks. Okay, other, other things I've noticed as well like Canada also has a bit of the conservative thing going on with, um, with more of a focus I guess on resources and energy and yeah you tell people if you're in Canada that you're looking to start a technology startup and it's it's a bit more of a, an uphill battle f to fight. So, you know, again, this is why Canadian startups end up going south of the border in many cases. Um, the bigger market also plays a, plays a role there. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. I think that the startup funding culture is often informed by just the general uh, national culture. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense Maybe to me. you can also... <clears throat> what I was going to um, ask here is, is that maybe he can really define because, you know, when people think of crowdfunding, you know, some of the sites that people think of obviously is Kickstarter or um, the various different companies that exist, you know, in the U.S. here. But talk to us in terms of, you know, what it really means for crowdfunding and maybe some of the rules and regulations. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of the rules and regulations uh, based here in the U.S. in regards to crowdfunding. Yeah, look, um, it's probably a really important thing to point out to your readers, right? Because, again, um, as Rose said, when people are thinking of crowdfunding, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the first things that come to mind. But, but equity crowdfunding is different from that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to make that clear because with Kickstarter, you're making a donation or pre-ordering a product. But with equity crowdfunding, you're getting shares in the business itself that's raising the funds. So it, it leads to a pretty different um, marketing plan because you're marketing the business model instead of the product. Um, in terms of the regulations, I mean, I don't <laughs> We could probably spend the entire hour talking about regulations, but, but in brief, there's, there's different levels of capital that can be raised depending on which country you're doing the, the fundraising in. And in the US, there's different regimes that you can raise money under. So for example, what I consider the purest form of equity crowdfunding in the US is what they call uh, regulation crowdfunding or Title III crowdfunding, which came into force in 2016. Um, and under that regime, you can raise a million US dollars every 12 months um, under a reduced disclosure regime, right? So this is the difference between equity crowdfunding and, and, and doing a full initial public offering is you don't need to prepare a full prospectus. So it means less requirement from expensive lawyers and expensive auditors and, and these kinds of professional service firms, which for these smaller amounts of capital are just unaffordable. Um, and that, so that $1 million level that's unique to the US. So if there's listeners that are, tuning in from outside of the United States, um, you've got like a, a limit of $2 million in New Zealand, $5 million Australian dollars in Australia. Um, the European Union has, has its own different levels depending on which country you're in, but broadly it's about 8 million euros, so like a much larger number than in the US. Mm -hmm. And then as well, there are different levels of disclosure um, which again is a whole other rabbit hole to get into, but um, that's that's a bit of an introduction to the rules that are at play. And, and when do you think crowd you know funding should be used, and when should it be avoided? Because I think that you know that's an important aspect of of knowing. Yeah, I mean it comes down to the goals that the company has. So I think one of the clearest uses for equity crowdfunding is when a company can can benefit from both the money and the marketing exposure because you're getting a bunch of new shareholders on board, you know, dozens or maybe even hundreds of new shareholders. So if a company's got strong rationale for having those people on board as brand advocates, then that's a, a really strong reason to go down that path. Um, when should it be avoided? Probably the, the biggest reason to avoid it is, is if 
you need the money immediately, right? Like one of the advantages of the of the venture capital or angel investment model is that if you do have that existing relationship with one person or one organization, then they can write you a check and the funds can be in your account fairly quickly. But but equity crowdfunding is its own marketing exercise, which takes several months at a minimum to execute. Um, you know, there have been campaigns which have which have raised the money in a few minutes, but of course there's been months of work that's gone into that preparation to get to them to that point, which which people don't often see. So, yeah, these are a couple of reasons mm-hmm. why or why not to use equity crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And what what are the type of investors that are, you know, investing into these uh, crowdfunding type projects? Do you feel that they have to, do they have to be accredited, number one? Well, the whole idea of um, the regulations that crowdfunding is done under is is to make it actually open to the general public. So, as I mentioned before, the, the kind of regulation crowdfunding that is possible in the US, that $1 million raise, that's open to any member of the public can can invest under that regime. Um, obviously, there's, there's sometimes different rules for accredited investors, but this is the change that equity crowdfunding has made possible, to market to ordinary investors without needing a prospectus. Um, so I might have missed the other part of your question, but that's the uh, that's the gist of the accredited investor thing. Well, in my experience, I started off, by the way, in Silicon Valley yep. uh, back back a long time ago. <laughs> it was the mid '60s when I uh, broke into the field there, and. Uh, I can tell you that, of course, crowdfunding did not exist at that time. And the only way to raise capital was through uh, either VC or angel or family, you know, those other kinds of uh, methods. Um, When did you notice that crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding started to become um, interesting and to be important to potential investors and company operators? So the, there's been two innovations. One is the technology that's made it possible. So you couldn't have had equity crowdfunding before the internet was strong enough to host things like video and investment information um, for investors to ask questions before deciding to invest. So you know, the, the internet probably was at that stage in the mid-decade of the 2000s. Yes, um, but the uh, the other part, which is the regulatory changes, have been coming through more slowly than that. Like usually, that's the case, right? The regulation moves more slowly than technology. Right. So, in different countries, it happened at different times. So, the first country to make it possible legally was the United Kingdom. So that happened in two thousand and eleven, and other markets have followed from there. So I mentioned um, the US made it possible in 2016. Uh, It was 2014 in New Zealand. So it's really been since the start of the 2010s decade that it's all taken off. And at first it was a bit of a novelty, right? Like this is a very small part of the whole investing landscape. And, you know, in, in some ways it still is. There's much more money that's being done through plain old VC and bank funding than, than equity crowdfunding. But but in the UK, where it's had the most time to develop, you know, so we're coming up to eight years now, as of the time of this interview, um, the, the largest platforms in the UK have been responsible for hundreds of millions of British pounds of funding. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a significant number. You know, it's, it's definitely significant for the startups that it's funded and, um, you know, helped to get their start and, we were even starting to see some exits come through as well. So that's really exciting to see for the industry too. Oh, for sure. In fact, uh, you know, that's the, the main thing that an investor wants to know about up front is uh, what is your exit strategy and uh, when do you plan to do that and so on. Um, now that you've had an opportunity to uh, be a, a leader, a thought leader, if it, at the very least in this field, um, what are some of the risks that a person deals with in equity crowdfunding? 
Do you mean from the perspective of the company raising the funds or from the investor? Well, I would say let's talk about both sides of it. Uh, let's look, first look at the investor and then look at the company side, please. Okay, sure. So, I mean, this is a new asset class for ordinary investors in many cases. So the typical person with, let's say, an ordinary level of net worth has previously had access to things like bank deposits, property, stock market indices. So to go into the world of early stage company investing is a completely different beast. You know, you're, you're trying to pick a winner and you expect that most companies are actually going to fail. Um, and that's a, that's a tough thing for investors to get their head around. So I think it's important to realize that, yeah, like although you're trying to pick the next best thing, that's the game. Um, but very likely you won't succeed, so you kind of need to take a portfolio approach. I'm not, I'm not really saying anything new here, but it's just the audience to whom these early stage startups are being marketed to is new and needs better education. Um, from the company's point of view, I think it's just understanding what position you're going to end up in. So once the capital raising's done, you're going to have all these shareholders and um, you've got to have a plan for how to manage them and how to use them. So the, the, the crowdfunding platforms who are facilitating all this have become pretty good at helping companies get ready for what happens after the fundraising is completed. But I think it's just having in mind that, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have money in the bank, but you're also going to have these uh, dozens or hundreds of shareholders around for the long term. So what's your relationship going to look like after that? Mm -hmm. So it's really okay. what you're trying to say here is having the mindset, you know, as you're, you know, investing into these different uh, projects here is, as an investor, having the correct mindset going into it, because like you said, maybe many people may not know that most of the companies, you know, might go belly up or might not have a return on their investment. Yeah, or the investment's going to be locked up for a long time. So it's, a, it's an illiquid investment, which, again, people who are non-accredited might not be used to. They, they always are used to being able to pull their money out of the bank or sell their stocks or sell their property, but you know the, the ability to draw out a return on early stage companies is going to depend on the fortunes of those companies. So there's not a lot of secondary trading going to take place. I agree. I agree. Now let's take a look at it from the company side, please. What are some of the risks? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I touched on one just before of like ending up in a position which they might not have expected if they hadn't thought it through. Um, other risks from the company, I think, I think there's a risk of um, trying to do crowdfunding at the same time as another major project in the company's life cycle. So if it were to happen, for example, at the time that you were launching a major product and trying to do crowdfunding at the same time, then you risk splitting your efforts and not doing a very good job of either of those. Um, I mean, I, I have an example actually of a company in, in Europe that um, they did crowdfunding once successfully and then they tried to do it a second time and they tried to do it at the same time as the launch of a new product and um, they, they couldn't give their campaign the focus. This, these were the words of the founder that because they were doing this product launch at the same time, they just couldn't give it the same kind of attention and focus that they did first time around. And look, as a result, the... The campaign failed, they didn't get the money, and because they didn't have the money, the whole company failed. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a cautionary tale. To try to sort of plan where your funding needs are going to take place and have a, have a kind of a roadmap of a few years in advance if possible. You know, it's not always <laughs> easy to do that, but no, it's as, as much as possible to try and lock off the time to really give – an equity crowdfunding campaign as much focus as you can. That's a really good in, in example that you gave there. Um, one of the problems that the entrepreneur frequently has is that they are running three or four different tasks simultaneously, um, especially if they are operating on their own or with only uh, a couple of participants. And, uh, you know, your point is well taken that if they are not focusing well on their crowdfunding especially the equity crowdfunding side of it, um, 
that can really cause us some difficulties. It, it can. And I think another risk is to look at the amount of capital that you're raising because you don't want to be in constant fundraising mode. Like once you've done the crowdfunding raise or funding, funding from any means, really, you need to give yourself enough runway to actually use that money to grow and expand your company. So if you raise too little money and you're going to need to go back to the market and let's say under 12 months time, then you're probably not going to have time to actually execute on plans before needing to ramp up crowdfunding or your fundraising pitching again. Mm -hmm. Quite true. And what, what do you think, what do you think is a good time frame in terms of, you know, when an investor is, uh, I mean, when an entrepreneur is going out there and, and looking for capital, I mean, what, what do you tell, um, you know, entrepreneurs time frame wise, what, what they should expect or what they should anticipate? Yeah, I'd, I'd say like the short answer is between three to six months and the, whether you're at the low end of that range or the high end of that range is going to depend on how many resources you've got at your disposal. Um, like, can you can you do things internally or are you going to need to go out and get external help? And also how fit, funding, fit for funding that your company already is. So if you already have something similar to an investment doc or a business plan in your company arsenal, and you can adapt that for the crowdfunding platform's needs, then that's going to shorten the amount of time. Um, and if you don't, if you have to prepare it from scratch, then that's going to be obviously a big piece of work that's going to lengthen the preparation process. I agree. What are some of the things that a person should look for who is contemplating going into equity crowdfunding um, when they're looking at a platform? What, what are some of the traits or... Uh, procedures or strategies that uh, you notice are among the best and then contrast that with the, among the worst that you've seen. Yeah, so I, th I think you're right, John, that the uh, platform choice is very important and I, I think it's the most important. Like Once you've decided to do equity crowdfunding, the next question is which platform to use because they're, um, they're not all the same. And how I always think of it is, is if you were a, a shop front or if you're a shop and you were looking for where to situate yourself and you could only choose one location, you'd want the place with the most foot traffic. So the platforms are the same. Like, a, like me as an author, if I only had one place that I could sell books, then it would have to be Amazon.com because the other platforms don't have the audience that Amazon.com has. So the question then for uh, an entrepreneur looking to raise money with crowdfunding is which platform has the most high quality investor traffic that they can bring to your raise. So it's not quite as simple as just looking at the sheer number of people who are on their site, but it's going to be the number of people or the level of interest in a company like yours. So the exercise that I'd encourage people to do is to, look at the various platform options and because this is an offering of securities that's going to come down to which country you're in so if you're a US based company if you're a US based company you're going to need to look at US based platforms most likely there's not like a global leader that you can point to and then I'd look at uh, the amount of capital that they've raised I'd look at the number of startups that have successfully funded and then I'd try and look around for some companies which have similar characteristics to yours. So if you're, a, if you're a B2B service company, look for companies like that and see if they've helped companies like that before. Because if they have, then it's a really good sign that uh, they should have an investor audience that's going to be interested in a company like yours. Okay. Are there any warnings that you would give as to things that could be trouble for you yeah, so, so that's right, like to contrast uh, it with some of the worst platforms. I mean, it's it's kind of the reverse, right? Like if they don't have an audience and they are, yeah, if they're, if they're sort of expecting you to bring all the traffic yourself, <laughs> like there's a, the, the, again, the parallel that I draw here is like imagine, imagine Airbnb, right? But imagine if 
the Airbnb platform said, okay, you need to, you as the homeowner who's renting out their property need to bring the customer to our sites and then we'll make that transaction happen. Well, no one would use Airbnb because if you already had right. the if you already had the person that wanted to rent your home, there'd be no need for Airbnb. But for the equity crowdfunding platforms which are getting started or have a low audience and haven't like made that whole marketplace model work yet, that is kind of the conversation that they're going to try and convince the entrepreneur is going to happen, right? Like you need to bring your own traffic, you need to bring your own people, um, in which case you have to ask what value are they really providing? So that's a big warning sign. Um, yes, yeah, so kind of, you will need to bring your own traffic to kickstart that initial momentum, but the platform should be able to bring some of their audience to your offer as well. Mm -hmm. Very well said. How about telling their listeners some of those platforms who you would recommend if someone asked you for uh, those that you found to be most successful for a variety of reasons? Yeah, so it does depend on which country you're in. So we can't really run through all. Well, let's uh, focus on something. the U.S. market then yeah, and uh, perhaps even in Canada uh, yeah. because we, we do share certain interests, of course, uh, across border. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. That's what I was going to do. Uh, so the uh, the US based platforms, which have got leadership as of right now, are uh, WeFunder, Start Engine, Micro Ventures, and um, yeah, those those three I think have have got some good characteristics. WeFund is the largest. There's also Republic, which has been spun out of AngelList. So they're, mm -hmm. you know, they've got like the same resources that come from AngelList and like all these different platforms have got different headquarters too. So, you know, it, it can be a case of which is closest to you, but all four of those platforms that I just mentioned, um, when you go to their websites, you can see good examples of companies that have already successfully fundraised with them. They share their numbers about how much money that they've helped raise and how many startups they've helped fund. And um, yeah, they're, they're all professional outfits. In Canada, the market's quite a bit smaller. Um, mm -hmm. It's probably one that I would recommend there. And Canada's a bit funny because they've got different crowdfunding regulations depending on which province the company is based in. So it's not, it's not just, are you a Canadian company, but it's are you an Ontario company or a British Columbia company and so on. Um, so the one that's based out of British Columbia that I like is called Front Funder. There's no, no E in front funder, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, all these crowdfunding platforms kind of toy, toy with spellings and, you know, uh, it's just what they do. But um, yeah, look up front funder if you're, uh, if you're north of the border. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds good. Um, now, are there any crowdfunding systems that you're aware of that are not internet based for one reason or another? No, no, they all have an online aspect. Okay. And if you were to be engaged by somebody to uh, help them run their campaign, uh, and I assume that you do provide that kind of a service, what are some of the things that you would expect your client to do to enable you to do your job better? and to enable you to more quickly assist them in setting up their campaign. So the, 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 the thing that's always important is their goal. So the, the, the goal over that or being able to quickly move towards what that looks like for them is going to be very helpful and also to what degree they see advantages in having um, a large number of small shareholders or if the focus is more on having a few larger, more strategic investors as part of their crowdfunding raise. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then as well, just a good understanding of what, what resources that they have at their disposal already and what, what they're going to need help with. So... If they already have a social media person, great. Um, if they don't, then you're going to need to find someone like that to, to help them with that. 
part of it or or come up with a strategy which doesn't involve social media so heavily so yeah i think i think the strategy is informed by by the goal right yeah i agree now do you provide a checklist for people who make an inquiry about your services or how do you do this uh, so that a person could engage you to assist them so i have a a free online training um video which people can go to and, and watch and get a bit of a sense of as you put it a checklist um you know I, I kind of run through which companies it's going to suit which ones it's not going to suit so well uh and through watching that hour presentation mm-hmm. they can they can get a sense of whether it's going to be an option for them and whether they want to learn more um and i'm happy to provide the url to that if that's appropriate okay and then as they are contemplating working with you do you suggest that they go off to look at other resources or do you uh, maintain their focus on the things that you uniquely provide um i think i take a more of a focus on whether equity crowdfunding is right for them first and then mm-hmm. once once they've come to a landing on that then then the conversation so i talk about which business models it's going to suit the best which um which business models it doesn't work for because i think i think that's really important like the 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 thing that i think entrepreneurs really appreciate is yes or a quick no but the the long drawn out no is what's really damaging (laughs) it's very painful too yeah 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 that's the truth (laughs) yeah I mean, kind of talking to your point a little bit, you said earlier on in the conversation here, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, the different strategies in terms of capital raising, because, you know, um, me and John, we put together when we were raising capital for the company here, we actually put together a uh, regulation D offering. And, you know, like you were saying, you know, we spend a ton of money, you know, dealing with lawyers, putting together the PPM, you know, doing all of this thing. And then we actually never went out there and we, didn't really market it and we didn't really we didn't have a I, I guess you would say probably a direction of how to do it when you ask the lawyers they just referred to these different websites so they weren't really much help um and so it's kind of um a challenge there i guess you would say but um we definitely know what you're talking about in terms of you know going out there and hiring all these people and then at the end of the day you you just wasted a lot of money Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's better to it's better to know in advance if it's not going to work, which is what I try to focus on. Um, so yeah, the, the, I think the video is quite helpful for for that wherever people are based. So there are certain things which we've already talked a bit about the differences between countries between the regulations, but there's also a lot that's in common. So you know, there's things that an American company can learn from a campaign, no matter where it is in the world. So um, right. It's the sort of focus that the book takes. It's like I've got a global focus and, um, yeah, what what works in, from a marketing standpoint or from an investor communication standpoint in one country will very often work in other countries too. Well, my last uh, corporate assignment was as president of an entertainment company that uh, did business here in the United States, was based in Australia, and then had operations in many other countries. And be, due to the uh, nature of the business, we were fundraising often in, in different countries. And my head was spinning all the time trying to figure out how best to uh, package the information and how to uh, stay within the regulations so that we would not be in any violations. And uh, also, it was interesting to notice how investors both uh, with straight monetary investing and also equity investing, had totally different approaches to doing business with us. In your experience, uh, are there any uniquenesses that a person should watch for in different countries in terms of how their investor crowd might uh, deal with them? Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. Uh... Different different countries are 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, like you said, with the, the lawyers are the, the laws are different in different countries. So that's what the lawyers are very good at dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm not a lawyer, so I try and stay clear of that stuff. <laughs> let them <laughs> yeah. do their, let them do their job, and I do and I do mine. Right. Sort of more approaching it from a, a digital marketing point of view, and you know which, which platform is going to work the best for them. So, yeah. I, th- I think uh, not quite sure about that question, but sorry. well, it's kind of a loaded question too because uh, I've been on both sides of the fence uh, yeah. as the, both uh, an entrepreneur as well as an investor, and uh, there are unique approaches I have discovered between the approaches of people in different countries as well as the uh, legal environment in which they're operating. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing that just comes to mind as you were speaking then is that the different countries, that there's there's like a difference that's, I think, due to geography and size of country. So mm-hmm. in New Zealand, for example, it's a country of 5 million people. So relationships are extremely important. So I think in, in that case, it's more there's like more of a story of can you present a well-known figure? Because if you, if you can, then everyone knows who that is and probably mm-hmm. has like two degrees of separation to that person. I, f- I feel as though in, in larger countries like Canada and the US and Australia to an extent, the, the, the investment story plays out a bit more strongly because you're, you're not necessarily going to know who the investor who's putting the money in and backing it with their own name actually is. But if the story is good enough, then that kind of overcomes that. It's, it's less of a, a of a legal hurdle, but just a characteristic of these of these different markets. Like to what extent relationships plays a part. Yeah. Right. Well, I've had extensive experience dealing with uh, Japanese companies, uh, the managers of those operations, also in Chinese Chinese companies and uh, Mexican companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the types of things that I've done in the past. Um, And one of the things that you keep talking about, and I agree is so important, is that relationship. One of the things that I discovered very early on was that in order to do business in Japan, for example, uh, you better have a long time frame involved of starting the project, getting to know the people, uh, earning trust, and... uh, you know, proving your worthiness, because uh, in my experience, the Japanese are very, very cautious when dealing with uh, Americans in particular, but also other uh, management of other countries. Uh, same thing for the Chinese that I have dealt with. And in Mexico, it uh, was a little easier uh, because I did use a combination of Chinese and, and Japanese uh, uh, trading companies as part of my uh, team. And so they did a lot of the uh, footwork for me. But uh, in my experience, working with the Japanese uh, c- companies such as uh, Sumitomo Group, uh, I had to invest roughly three to four months of just getting to know the people involved before I was able to sit down and, and talk about business. Have you found that true also in the equity crowdfunding area yeah like the the internet has brought down some barriers but culture still matters legal challenges still matter mm-hmm. I, th- I think for just me personally and and looking around the world of equity crowdfunding it hasn't really penetrated these countries with quite different cultures to the to the same extent so you know, equity crowdfunding is legal and possible and active in the United States, in the UK, in Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand. So these are all countries with, with quite a bit in common culturally. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's less activity in Latin America, uh, Africa, Asia. So you know, there, there would be differences were it legally possible there and were there active markets, but... Just, just because they haven't got started yet, um, and maybe they won't get started, let's let's see, watch the space, but we haven't, like I haven't sort of come across these real 
differences that uh, you were alluding to, you know, with dealing with the Chinese and Japanese, for example? Well, wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll be uh, quite a revelation to you when you start to do it. Rose, uh, what are some of the other questions that you would like to ask uh, Nathan? Well, I think uh, one of the questions that I'd like to ask here is, is that, you know, how can somebody get a hold of you, first of all? And, and you know, um, how do you feel that, you know, you could help, like you were saying, you know, that's important in terms of an entrepreneur, you know, hearing, you know, if their project is viable. Um, talk to us a little bit about how people can get a hold of you, what you guys, what you do um, as a company to help support um, people and, and kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, there's the, the book is one way of uh, reading more about me and what my thoughts are. So that's a good introduction for people who want to get that. So that's available on Amazon.com. Just type in equity crowdfunding and it's the first result. Um, the other thing I've got is a, is a training program. So this is a, an online series of videos with, with interviews from entrepreneurs who've done it. So there's actually... You know, you can actually hear from the voice of real entrepreneurs who've been through crowdfunding, what has worked well for them, what hasn't worked so well. So this is a way of kind of productizing um, the advice that comes with equity crowdfunding because not everyone has the, the budget to work with a consultant one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but if you do want to work one-on-one -on -one with me, then... The thing to do is to reach out by email. That's uh, contact at nathanrose.me. The kind of work that we do is helping with platform selection. So, you know, I mentioned four platforms in the US, but which one of them is actually going to be your number one pick? And then how do we go about evaluating which one's going to um, work for you and how to approach them? And then once that's done and we've got approval because this is a big this is a big job actually a lot of people don't realize you know in terms of actually getting approved by a platform because there's you know when i survey the platforms and i talk to them they they give out numbers such as only five to ten percent of the companies that approach them actually get approved to go live on the platform so so even before you see the companies that are trying to crowdfund there's already been a filter applied there that, that a lot of companies have gone to them, asked if they can go live on the platform, and have been told no. So you know, the strategy and how to be one of that 5 or 10% is a big part of the, of the job. Um, but once you are part of that 5 or 10%, then it's yeah, working out how you're going to do that outreach. Right? So is it a combination of email, social media, events, um, using your existing networks, exactly what that looks like. So, yeah, helping them form up, up a plan to execute on. Okay. Now, for our listeners who are contemplating engaging somebody such as yourself, what kind of a budget should they have available to engage you? Uh, what is a broad range of numbers that you would typically charge for the setup and uh, administration of such a program? Yeah, I mean, it depends what they need. So, I mean, a broad, a broad range of, you know, something to anchor people's expectations is something in the range of five to $10,000. And, um, you know, that's going to get them the, the strategy of which platform to approach, um, help with approaching them, the right person to talk to, and, you know, what, what happens after that if they do get approved to go live on the platform in terms of a, of a marketing strategy to reach out to their crowd. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, just based on my understanding of uh, the costs of doing all of this, uh, that's not a very high price for what you do. It appears that uh, you're, what you, the service you provide is worth a lot more than what you charge. Is that the way you look at it too? Well, I have to think so. I mean, that's the, the entrepreneurial ethos, right? To provide more value than you charge. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't have a business for very long. So, look, I mean, there's, 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 there's obviously risk too, right? Like the, obviously, yes. If, if, the, if the campaign succeeds, then it's very cheap. Um, if mm -hmm. the campaign doesn't succeed, then that's a 
cost that is um, going to have to be borne. So you know, it's just, uh, one question that I actually often get is, can you work on a on a on a retainer based on success? And the difficulty with that is that the you know, so so much of the success of a campaign actually comes down to the quality of the company that you're working with. It's actually the same with books, right? Like, like people also ask, you know, can you help me market and sell my book? And the answer <laughs> That's is, right. like, oh, <laughs> it depends on how good the book is, right? Like the That's success right. is going to be determined how good the book is or in the case of crowdfunding, how good the company is and how much cut through you get with investors. And no crowdfunding consultant, whether it's me or anyone else, um, can actually do the work of building a world-class company. You know, that's the entrepreneur's job. A consultant or an advisor can do their best, but um, that's the that there's the kind of limit that the entrepreneur has to build the company. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right. No, that's absolutely true. How many persons are out in the world doing the thing that you do? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, there's a large number of people helping out with Kickstarter and rewards crowdfunding campaigns. Mm-hmm. So when I when I look around that side of things, I, I see maybe like a dozen or something like this that are kind of active and seem to be doing good things. Um, as far as I can tell, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on this. I haven't seen anyone else doing equity crowdfunding as their as their speciality. So there there are people who are doing pieces of it, right? So there's if you look on the other books on Amazon, for example, there are there are books who have been published by lawyers who help out with the legal piece. Um, but equity crowdfunding strategy, I no, I don't want to sound like I'm talking my own book here, but I, I don't think there's anyone else that's doing this. But of course, well, that was my conclusion. That's why I asked the question. I thought, well, maybe I'm missing something here. Uh, you seem to be in a unique role. And your experience certainly qualifies you to be there. Uh, typically, within the financial services area in general, there's just a, a mob of people. And when I started doing some research about the things you do, I couldn't come up with anyone else who had the same credentials or background and uh, uh, spoke in the way that you do. So uh, congratulations on being the forerunner in that area. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I think maybe part of it is that there, there is, you know, with this kind of skill set um, of investment banking or, you know, being good with financial models and pitch decks and this kind of thing, there, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of jobs out there which are quite lucrative, right? So mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people, they would prefer to, you know, work for a big organization like a Goldman Sachs or a, or a venture capital fund. And um, yeah, there's probably more money to be made doing that, to be honest, because you're helping bigger companies, mm-hmm. right? So when you're helping a company raise $100 million, there's a lot more money to go around than startups raising a million dollars. So yeah, I think I think the thing that I uniquely value is is working with these entrepreneurs who've got the big dreams and ambitions to make things happen at a fairly early stage. And you know, one one reason, you know, if if you if you have the conclusion that what I charge is cheap, which is you know obviously a value judgment, but it's probably because I don't have a lot of overheads, um, you know, compared to the big investment banks who've got prime real estate in downtown countries. I mean, I'm living in I'm living in Eastern Europe, so my my costs are pretty low. <laughs> but that's, right, that's I understand. You know, and uh, one thing I would like you to to understand is, uh, even though I consider your price to be cheap let's use your word uh, uh-huh. i would consider it a high value and that over time uh, people will see that investing in the services you provide uh, is a tremendous value uh, having fought the wars uh, numerous times in different uh, industries I've, I've worked in 11 different industries and uh, uh, i've seen this battle go on and on and on uh, somebody with your talent, your skill, your background, um, boy, you're you're somebody that I wish I'd known twenty some odd years ago. Just when the internet was starting to come online, uh, I started to be 
uh, for working within the internet field back in 1993 when uh, most people said, what? <laughs> what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've been a participant ever since. And, uh, you know, you, you represent, I believe, uh, a talent that more persons need to be taking a look at. I think that uh, the funding model that you represent and that you assist people in, in generating is uh, something that needs to be done more frequently. I, you know, there's too many persons out chasing, if you will, dollars and not looking at the equity side. And if from a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint and being CEO of quite a number of companies, uh, I see, and I'm very much aware of the, the value of equity funding as opposed to going to the bank, for example. And, yeah. uh, you know, more and more persons need to know about what you do and how you do it and start using it within their own operations. Well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate those kind words. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just like to spread the word about equity crowdfunding generally, you know, so whether they, whether they decide to use the service or not, I think it's important that entrepreneurs are aware of this new way of raising funds, which doesn't involve um, banks and the downsides that come with needing to put collateral on the line when borrowing. And, um, you know, versus venture capital, there's some advantages to, you know, getting the promotion at the same time and potentially the ability to raise money on better terms than, than dealing with venture capital who are, um, you know, a lot, often a lot more skilled at this game than the entrepreneur who's actually built the valuable company. So it's, um, <laughs> yeah, that's the, true. <laughs> it, it's worth looking at. It's worth investigating. It's totally not for everyone. Um, different fundraising methods are going to suit different people, but it is a new alternative that for, for these kinds of companies that are looking something under the $1 million range of capital in the US, um, it's, it's definitely worth a look. I agree. I agree. Rose, any last minute thoughts before we get ready to sign off? No, it's been great to, you know, definitely have you on the show and, you know, listen to what you had to say here. I think it's very valuable to our listeners and uh, we look forward to, you know, definitely, you know, doing some work with you here in the future. Well, appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. And yes, uh, we would like to invite you back at a, a later time to uh, talk about uh, some other things that have to do with uh, equity crowdfunding. And uh, so we'll look forward to wondering where you are when we next connect. <laughs> are you intending to be in the uh, Eastern uh, uh, European theater for any protected period of time? Or are you going to go to another country? Um, so Tbilisi is my home base. So I, I okay. do plan to be around here for um, for the foreseeable future. I have a I have a wedding to attend in New Zealand in November. That's the, the next time that I'll be going to a significantly different part of the world. In the okay, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, and that's going to be a long flight. I understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, enjoy <laughs> the wedding. <laughs> yes, enjoy the wedding, and uh, thank you very much for being our guest today and contributing to the knowledge base for people who are looking to raise money or those who are investors and who are considering different alternatives. My, Rose, my pleasure. Um, shall we say goodbye? <laughs> we shall say goodbye. Okay. Tune in next week and we'll be talking with a gentleman who is an operator of a entrepreneurial lab. And this is a gentleman uh, assists companies in getting their business off the ground and in uh, attracting the first customers. I think you'll find it to be a very interesting show, much like this one. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Capital Raising Club with Rose Vitale. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, 
and capital raising. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time on The Legacy, 1050 AM, Talk 102.3 FM, and Express 106.5 FM. And now on Alexa, get me KCAA. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050.